show where we talk about everything and grunt ow <laughs> how are you doing today sarah i'm okay i'm glad you're okay how are you i am alive i am doing things whoa what are you doing uh, living <laughs> um looking forward to counts as a thing oh yeah definitely you know how hard it is to live sometimes it's kind of dark never mind <laughs> um I'm excited of going to a wedding this weekend. Yes. Love. It's my first time being a bridesmaid. Whoa, that's a lot of responsibility. Mm. How do you feel about that? I'm bringing wine. That's a good feeling to have. I'm excited about that. I'm excited for you. Yeah. I'm excited to hear all about it. Me too. But <laughs> I'm excited to it. live it. That's fun. What is today's topic, Yasika? Today's topic is Minnesota. Minnesota? Minnesota. It's a mini soda. Well, they call it pop. No. A mini I papa. <laughs> <laughs> not that. Not, That's no. not it. Uh, it's something, but it's... Firm pass. <laughs> uh, so, did, no. you, did you look up anything about Minnesota? No... Because what I want to happen is for us to have people follow us and tell us stories. <laughs> well, I mean, same. So I did not look anything up about Minnesota, but uh huh. I don't know. When I was a kid, I had a one of those wooden puzzles yeah. of all the states, and I was like Minnesota because of the way it was shaped. I have no idea why, but I like it. It's an interesting shape for sure. It was a pleasing shape for small Jessica. <laughs> yeah, that that's funny. Isn't it? So whenever you look at the United States, mm-hmm. isn't Minnesota the the head of like the, the chef guy who was like frying Kentucky on Tennessee? Or was that Michigan? Or was that Michigan? I'm not sure. Oh, gonna, it's been a while. I'm going to look. I'm going to look up. Nope, that's my mail. I'm going to look up. <laughs> What Minnesota looks like. Or uh, the United States map. Yeah. I do know that um, we were listening to uh, songs that were either made in or about Minnesota. Yes. And we came across one. Let me find it. Because you sent it to me. Because it was very entertaining. It was so funny. No, it's his hat. Yeah, Minnesota is the oh, it chef is the hat. guy's You're right. hat. And then Iowa is the, his face. the chef's face. Missouri is his shirt. Arkansas is his little pants. And Louisiana is his foot. And then he has as Tennessee t- on a frying pan. As a frying pan. And Kentucky is Kentucky fried chicken. Ha 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 ha. Funny. Just so you know, the song is called I'm From Minnesota by Alex Frecon. F-R-E-C-O-N. Yes. And... It's on Spotify, and you should listen to it because it's actually very entertaining. It's so funny. I appreciate it. He, if you want a notorious uh, Minnesota song, it's that one. 
We found it by accident. We have no connection to this person. No, but, you know, if he listens to us, hello, we enjoy your work. You you, you made us happy today. You definitely have something there. My family lives in the Nebraska, Minnesota, Yanks. Michigan, yeah, North Dakota, mm-hmm. all of that. I do say Minnesota with a Minnesota accent. Because of your family? Because of my family. And I just say Minnesota. But if I'm making fun of, like, the accent, I'll be like, Minnesota. Minnesota. But. Don't you know. Don't you know. But, uh, we, our cabin, we have two cabins. When I was growing up, it was the red cabin and the green cabin, but then my aunt painted the green cabin khaki. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Sure. But the red cabin stayed red, and that's the one that we always stayed in, and I would sleep on the porch. But it uh, <laughs> it kind of got scary after, on like on some nights, because you would hear everything. Right, right. And uh, there was definitely wild animals walking out yeah. there, and it freaked me out. But other times, it was fine. And it never got hot in there, so that's why I stayed there. That's cool. Yeah. I've and never it was on Deer been... Lake with Bear Island. That's pretty cool. I mm-hmm. like that. I would, uh, the last time I went, I canoed all the way around, but by myself. <laughs> um, I That's had to safe. put a weight on the other side, <laughs> but I canoed all over the lake mm-hmm. and walked around Bear Island. Nobody lives on it. You're not allowed to. It's free for everyone. Is it because of the bears? For sure. You know, that yogi bear might. S- You might steal your picnic baskets. That's the wrong state. He's from Jellystone National Park. You wanna you wanna steal some picnic baskets? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Yogi. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Um no, there are no bears on Bear Island. Is it bear like bear or is it bear like nothing? Well the reason why it's called Bear Island is because if you fly over it, it looks like a bear. Okay, <laughs> I get it. But, you know, bear could be, like, nothing. Like, B-A-R-E. Like, barren? Yeah, no, it's not barren. It's full of lovely creatures. That's pretty freaking cool. Like, bald eagles and stuff. Sad there's no bears. I know, but that would be... It's a rather small island. Two out of ten misconception. It isn't that big. So, if there was a bear there... It'd be the only bear there. <laughs> and that would be kind of sad. His friendship list on facebook would be barren <laughs> he's very lonely <laughs> we need Aww. to stop okay for sure we need to go into trivia oh we do we, we do we do and i get to start nope you get to start i was wrong oh, fight me. you might actually like this question okay um which famous musical artist is not from minnesota oh lord i know i know none of this <laughs> A, Lizzo. Why am I angry? Jelly gotta be great. Whoop! <laughs> You're a natural. Obviously, I'm just like Lizzo. B, James Brown. Beautiful. C, Owl City. I like to make myself believe. <laughs> um, D, Trampled by the Turtles. I've never heard of them, but I want to. <laughs> Well, you just did. No, but I mean, like, I need to listen to their yeah, music. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then E, Cloud Cult. I like that, too. Mm. Which one's not from Minnesota? Yes. 
I think Lizzo might be because in her song she sings about being with a Minnesota Viking. I'm a Viking. Who knows? Um, I'm just gonna guess. I'm gonna guess Owl City. Sadly, you're wrong. Wow. They're from Minnesota, wow. and I think I know why they're called Owl City now. Um, so Lizzo is from Minneapolis, Minnesota. <gasps> See. Um, All I had to know was Lizzo. Owl City is from Owatona. Which means Owl City. Well, I just think Owa sounds like, it looks like owl. Oh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, so Owatona, if I'm saying that correctly. Wouldn't it just be funny if they were from Owl City? Like, and no one knew that that was an actual place. You know, my town of 30 people that I grew up in. Right. Um, Minnesota. Trampled by the Turtles is from Duluth, Minnesota. Beautiful place. Beautiful. Cloud Cult is from Duluth, Minnesota as well. Well, James Brown is from Barnwell, South Carolina. I don't know who that is. I like it. I don't know who James Brown is. That's probably why I don't know anything. Is he a person that, like, I would know his music but just not know his name? Mm Mm-mm. He's an older artist. Yeah, then not, not me. I only listen to my CDs. My mixed CDs. <laughs> Shrek the soundtrack. That too. <laughs> I listen to my old CDs, my mixed CD I made when I was 14 and angsty, or musicals, or 80s music. That's it. I mean, I think James Brown released music in the 80s. Uh, but if it's not like TMTM TM 80s music, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. Jazzercise, like get your... Like, you know. Yeah, fair. Or I grew up listening to, like, country. So I know, like, my growing up country. Okay, my turn. Let's see. Humans are known to be the only animal that cries for emotional reasons. But there is one animal that has been reported to shed tears for grief. Which one is it? Here are your choices. A. Alligator. B. Bears. Bears? How do we do this? I don't know. <laughs> like, we always have tie-ins somehow. <laughs> the bears. C. The bears. Chimpanzees. Mm. D. Dogs. Cats. Or E. Elephant. Also, did you notice that every answer choice started with the same letter? <laughs> I'm clever. You're something. Those are your choices. Mm-hmm. Which one cries? <laughs> Well, I mean, there is a saying, they were crying alligator tears, you know, mm-hmm. where they're like just bawling their like eyes. Like crocodile in. tears, alligator tears. Well, they're different. Um, I know. Bears? I don't think bears cry. What would it sound like <laughs> when <laughs> bears cry? I should have put dubs on there. I should have yeah. thought about that. Oh, well. Uh, chimpanzees. I mean, that's a possibility because we're pretty close, you know? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're close. We're, we're close. close. <laughs> um, dogs, as much as I wish. I don't think you dogs cry. You wish dogs cry? Well, no, that we could relate, oh, you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. relation, you know? I wish I could relate more to dogs because they're just so cute and loving. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never seen a dog cry, mm-hmm. even out of grief. And I mean... In Where the Red Fern Grows, the dog, I won't spoil, but there were no tears. 
Um, <laughs> but there was grief. There was much <laughs> grief in that book. And then elephant. I feel like elephants could cry. I feel like, yeah, I'm going to go with elephants. You're right. It Whoa. is elephants. I just, only because, you know. They're just, they're just. They have so much emotion. They're like, just they do. passionate, beautiful creatures who are very smart and never forget. Yeah. And like peanuts. I like elephants. I love elephants. It makes me sad they cry. <laughs> I know, but we can relate. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. We'll cry together. We can just have a big crying circle. On an elephant. With elephants. Beautiful. So my second question is, how many members are there in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, God. Um, A, 150, B, 176, C, 201, D, 217, or E, 221? I have no frame of reference for this, but the numbers 176 and 217 are really standing out to me, and I don't know which one I should go with. (laughs) I feel like I want to say 176. Well, I mean, there's hardly any close to it, but it's actually 221. Okay. So there are 221 members of this day in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. Apparently, I didn't know this, but there is a certain amount of time that you have to be uh, famous for, you know, uh, where you have... uh, like enough chart. renown in order to even be eligible hmm. to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. I didn't know that. I bet my stepdad knows all about that. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of knowledge my, about stuff like that. My dad got for Christmas, um, it was like on the 50th anniversary of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, whenever mm-hmm. it started. He got that um, whole concert on DVD, and it's three three different discs wow. of just the concert and then the fourth disc is the um actual interviews with people who are still alive that's awesome yeah it's really fast it's really fun it's really fascinating that's really cool i like that green day's a part of the holiday whoa i know wow but follow boy isn't there there's a but they're going on tour together yeah so follow boy has some you know, let's start a petition, everyone. Follow Boy Hall of Fame 2020. Is Weezer? Weezer should be. Is Weezer? Not, I don't think. That's that's a shame. Follow Boy has more renown than Weezer. Mm. Yeah, they do. Mm. I bet you. Mm. I bet you. Also, I mean, Christopher Cross is not a part of the Hall of Fame, and I'm kind of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I have emotions, but I will not share them. Uh, my trivia number two. You might you might know this one. I think because of who you are as a person, you might know it. But this question was right up my alley because me being a speech person, I'm a speech teacher. So I had to actually learn this in school. Oh, yeah. So what is the average re- frequency that men's vocal folds vibrate at a conversational level? Hmm. So like at normal speaking level, what is the average frequency? A, 115 hertz. B, 135 hertz. C, 160 hertz. 
D, 185 hertz, or E, 200 hertz? Hmm. I actually don't know. But and I, I made it kind of hard. But, I'm not going to lie. I mean, we're kind of at the same sort of Like questions. intervals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 115 is not... So, okay, question first. Mm-hmm. I may hi- or may not be able to answer it. You can answer Okay. This. Higher, like the smaller number is the higher... No. Of the, it's backwards? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, lower the number, the lower the voice. Okay. I had to, like, <laughs> fix that in my brain. Right, right. Well, 115 is too low, I would think, for an average human then, because it's, like, an extreme number. 135 seems like a pretty reasonable lower frequency, I guess, but I would still think that that's pretty low. Okay. 160 seems... Maybe that's like an alto level, maybe. 185 seems pretty high. 200 is probably a yellow color, and I don't like it. <laughs> so what do you think? Probably 135 to 160. Okay. So that's um, not right. Okay, tell me. Um, but this is a very tricky question if you don't have the background knowledge. I have knowledge. no background. <laughs> so... Um, the fundamental frequency, uh, like the typical adult female voice, is actually from 165 to 255. Okay. Uh, so the average is 200 for females. Okay. And for males, it's actually from 185, or from 85 to 180. So the average is 115. So their average frequency is 115, and females are normally 200. Very different. Wait, so you had to take the average? No, like that just is the average, like normally. Because a male normally is from 85 to 180. Okay. And a female is normally 165 to 255. Okay. So the average female is 200. The average male is 115. Okay. Cool. Yes. We learned something today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're here for. You learned a thing. Stay in school. Forever. <laughs> Never leave. Like me. <laughs> so today we're doing Minnesota. 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 Also, I just wanted to go over it again because I was thinking about it earlier today, how we don't ever really talk about the setup of the show. So if someone's new, they might not oh. understand. So we have our main topic, which this one is Minnesota. And we, at the end of every episode, we draw for the next one mm-hmm. on what subtopic we're going to cover. From those, we have psychology, true crime, paranormal, history, conspiracy theory, and lore. That's <laughs> why every episode is a little bit different because we only choose two out of those six. Right. And it's a blind draw. And also, that's why we don't usually go as in-depth as other podcasts might possibly go into for certain topics that we might choose to cover and usually that's why it's mainly just a summary uh you're learning yeah a cool brief cover of that topic that we that might get you more interested exactly to go and search for more information yeah 
So I was just thinking that we don't really cover that a lot. And no, so that's it might fair. Be a little confusing. Yeah, no, that's fine. So that's how this podcast works. And I'm glad that we are now able to um, efficiently explain. What oh, our- <laughs> episode one was rough, Episode guys. one. If you're starting, I hope this, y'all are listening backwards. Just never listen to that one. I mean, if you do, it's funny. It was us bored sitting on Sarah's bed after hours of trying to figure everything yeah. out and write story, write a story. Oof. I was still using like one reference. <laughs> like, <laughs> I at least used like three. I, I might have used a couple, but still, like, mmm. I also was very ambitious. I work a lot harder now than I did when we first started. Yeah. Anyways. Oof. So, Minnesota, now I want to know what you drew. What did you draw? I drew history. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are you covering? Tell me. So, with Minnesota, um, it's, it's pretty, it's an... It's not an average state. That's not what I'm saying because every state is special. They all have their things. But also, Minnesota is known for bread (laughs) (laughs) and butter. Minnesota is known for bread. (laughs) And butter because they have a lot of butter churning factories. (laughs) Also, yeah, you know. It's Minnesota. They have a thousand. They have lakes. They got all those lakes. (laughs) But also that's science. Right. You know? And I could have done that, I guess. I, could, I, I didn't want to cover Paul Bunyan because that's also lore. Yeah. And we, we, tr- we try really hard not to step on each other's toes. So, like, there are times when we get something where we're like, but that could be that other thing, too. Exactly. What if they <laughs> drew that? Exactly. And we don't want to ask. Yeah, we don't want to <laughs> be like, are you going to cover this story? Because that's what I was going to do and I don't know what you drew or not. And- yeah, we wanted to be... We tread lightly. <laughs> exactly. So I decided to cover a person. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Kind of like Davy Crockett, you know? <gasps> yes. But also... It's like when I covered Ford because yeah. I couldn't... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay, so going off further, they they have people, you know? They, they, they have famous people, but like... Of history. But at the same time... I'm Most getting, of them move. I'm, I'm getting a vibe, like, because you were talking about rock and roll and stuff. I have a question before you even get started. Are you covering Prince? You looked at my thing. I didn't look at your thing. You were singing Prince earlier. <laughs> you were singing Prince. But also, then, it's like right here. <laughs> I promise I didn't look. I don't believe you. But you I, always think I look at your stuff. I do, because I, I am not very good at hiding it. No, you were literally, we were writing our stories, and she's, like, singing Prince. I made a Prince quote while we were talking about my trivia because of you. <laughs> when I was singing When Doves Cry, because yeah. you were singing Prince earlier. <laughs> you just give me hints that I subconsciously take in. Possibly. <laughs> But also, I'm not a good liar. No. <laughs> I'm horrible at lying. That's why I'm just a very blunt person. And well, I will tell why you. why I scare people. I will tell you. I don't know much about Prince, so I'm very excited I about love this. Prince. I like him too, but I really don't know much about him as a person. My dad has his Purple Rain album, mm-hmm. and it's purple. That's true. <laughs> the well, vinyl is purple. That's awesome. I know. It's pretty, pretty cool. Great. Pretty cool. Um, Tell me about him. I don't even know his real name. <laughs> Prince. 
Yes. No, that's... I mean, like, his birth name. Like, Prince. full name. It's it's Prince Rogers Nelson. Yeah, see, I didn't know that part. <laughs> it's Prince... Like, he, like his name I was... I get Prince. that. I get that. Well, some people, like, don't know that. They and think I it's find a stage it name. Yeah. I find it, like, a cool fun fact. Like, like no. His name's freaking Prince. <laughs> What's Prince's name? Prince. <laughs> um, it's, it's a... It's a great icebreaker at a party. So he was born on June 7th, 1958 in Minneapolis, Minnesota to mother and jazz singer Maddie Nelson and father, uh, who was a famous pianist and songwriter, John Lewis Nelson, whose stage name was Prince Rogers. Mm. Prince also had a younger sister who was born on May 18th, 1960, named Tyka or Tika. I think it's Tyka. Prince wrote his first song when he was seven years old using his father's piano. And the name of the song was Funk Machine. I love that. (laughs) I love that he was seven and he was like, you know what I'm going to name this? Funk Machine. Funk Machine. That's a great, you know, that's a great name. He also taught himself how to play the piano, guitar, bass, drums, and many more throughout his life. I'm so jealous. When Prince was 10, his parents divorced and his mother remarried Hayward Baker. Prince's mother soon had a son with Baker. They named him Kamar. Prince and Kamar had a pretty rough relationship together. Prince found him annoying and um, he didn't really receive a lot of attention. Like, it wasn't even like the older brother, like, I'm not getting any attention. No, like, seriously. He, like, literally got none. Yeah. Because of that... Much of Prince's young life was him repeatedly switching between homes, Mm. switching between friends' homes, his father, and his mother and stepfather. During this time, he moved in with his father, who also kicked him out, causing him to move to his neighbor's basement, the Anderson family. Um, While living in their basement, he befriended their son, Andre, Later on, they would collaborate together, and would he would soon become known as Andre Simon. Ooh, Simon. Simon. Prince attended Central High School in Minnesota, Minneapolis, where he played football, basketball, and baseball. He also was a part of the Minnesota Dance Theater. However, because he was so focused on his music and the arts, as well as being highly involved with extracurriculars such as sports, he did not have the greatest grades in school, Mm -hmm. and he did not uh, put a lot of effort into his schooling, because if he put in the effort, I'm sure he would be a straight-A student, because he was a genius. Mm. While in school, he also formed a band known as Grand Central, which would later be known as Minneapolis Sound. Um, and he created it with his friends Andre Anderson and Morris Day, which would both become very famous musicians. Mm-hmm. Right. At age 16, Prince dropped out of school in order to focus on his music career. And by 1976, Prince was working as a seasoned uh, guitarist for Minneapolis Sound 80s Studios. And at age 19 in 1977, he signed a contract and began to work with Warner Brothers Records. Mm. He's so accomplished at such a young age. Right? And it's because he was a 
crazy worker. Right. It seems like it. He would focus all of his time and energy on working. That's, that was his entire life. Right. Because he didn't just work with his own music. He also was writing music for other people Mm -hmm. and he was collaborating with other people and he was working, um, and learning new instruments because for most of his albums, he did all of the instrumental music. For the entire album. Um, That's nuts. With his contract having been signed, Prince left Minneapolis and moved to Sausalito, California. He recorded his first album, uh, his first debut album, For You. For you, Jessica. For me. Just for you, he recorded it. I'm so polite. I try to say proud and pleased at the same time. I'm so pledge. I'm pledge. (laughs) (laughs) No, the name of his debut album was For You in Italics. With a popular single, Soft and Wet. Reaching... <laughs> I don't like that. Reaching number 12 in the Hot Soul singles and number 92 on the Billboard, Billboard Hot 100. For You was produced, arranged, composed, and all 27 instruments were done and played by Prince himself. That's crazy. That's awesome, though. Mm-hmm. All but the song Soft and Wet, which he co-wrote with Chris Moon. And Moon was the producer, songwriter, engineer who discovered Prince while he was in Minneapolis. His first solo show was in Shreveport, Louisiana at the Capri Theater in 1979. Soon his live performances would become uh, the lavish and erotic performances that he is well known for in today's time. I'm upset now. I went to college like an hour and a half from Shreveport, and I kept telling my friends that we would just go on a road trip, and we never did. Because if I would have, I could have been like, I've been there. I haven't. I'm sorry. Not I'm missing I, out. Yeah. I don't think I've been there. Wait. Mm. Nope. I don't think I went there. I've been to Louisiana, but not Shreveport. Gotcha. In 2009, Prince told Travis Smiley in an interview before he was... <sighs> Called, before he was called out for uh, uh, horrible things, um, that when he was a child, he suffered from epileptic seizures. Mm. And because of this, he was bullied in school. He said, quote, Earlier, mm, Early in my career, I tried to compensate by being as flashy and noisy as I could. Beautiful. End quote. Kind of like how Lady Gaga was. Yeah. In October 1979, he released his self-titled album, Prince, which was number four on the Billboard Top R&B black, uh, slash Black Albums charts and number 22 on the Billboard 200. And soon it even went platinum. The two songs that became hits from this album were Why You Wanna Treat Me So Bad? Question mark. <laughs> And I Want to Be Your Lover, which sold over a million copies and reached number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one for two weeks on a Hot Soul Singles chart. In 1980, he released the album Dirty Mind, which was the first album he released with content that contained sexually explicit material, which would soon become a... uh, normality for him yeah like 
It's very common for him to have sexually explicit mm-hmm. tones and yeah, he was definitely a tide turner in that sense. Oh yeah, he was not afraid to push the envelope a little bit. <laughs> definitely not. He's literally known as one of the most controversial artists to right. date. <laughs> right. Um so this album held the hit single Uptown which reached number 5 on the Billboard dance chart and number 5 on the Hot Soul single chart. He continued this success through the album's controversy in 1981 and album 1999 in 1982. Uh, What? Right? So many numbers. His videos with his multicultural rainbow coalition and mixed gender band The Revolution on the new music channel and MTV helped define the fashion, dance moves, and sounds of the new decade. Um, his hit album, 1999, sold 3 million copies. The, quote, the title track was a protest against nuclear proliferation and became Prince's first top 10 hit in countries outside of the U.S. Hmm. Prince's Little Red Corvette, um, the song, was one of the first two videos by black artists, along with Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, that was internationally cherished that's really cool Mm -hmm. this was also where the competition between prince and michael jackson began right i know prince had a lot of emotions about a lot of different performers Mm -hmm. like he was not afraid to share his feelings oh no and michael jackson definitely did recognize that there was competition between the two right because prince was definitely labeled the king of pop by a lot of people Mm -hmm. but then at the same time michael jackson is recognized as the king of pop so it's like who's the king (laughs) who gets the crown (laughs) fight but then also prince later on in life uh did more of hip-hop sounds right 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 um so with all of this success under his belt Prince then decided to pitch the idea to create a major motion picture to Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers was a little, (laughs) is this a good idea? Mm. No. Like, we definitely dig your music. You're definitely doing really good things, but are you sure you can handle a movie? Wait, can I tell you a fact real quick? Tell me a fact. Did you know that um, Michael Jackson wanted to be Spider-Man in the Spider-Man movies? No, but I enjoy that. (laughs) Can you imagine? No. (laughs) But he really wanted to be. (laughs) Every time he slings his webs. (laughs) I need to look up and make sure that's a real fact. I'm pretty sure it is. He was planning on starring in a new Spider-Man movie before his death. Oh my gosh, And he had planned to buy comic publisher Marvel jointly with Stan Lee in the late (gasps) 1990s, but the deal fell through. So Michael Jackson really wanted to play Spider-Man. Oh my gosh, but who wouldn't? Honestly, I kind of wish he did. I mean, I I wish we had that. (laughs) I wish we did too. But we do have the whiz, and that's important. True. But there's a fact. You learned another thing today. It was a bonus fact. I loved it. I love bonus It was a little bonus Jonas. Little Frankie. Oh, stop <laughs> it! That's so sad. <laughs> Sorry, Franklin. Is his name Franklin? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think his name is Franklin. <laughs> Poor guy. Sorry, Frankie Jonas. We all know you're the best. <coughs> oh. 
string. Well, anyways, Warner Brothers decided, yeah, sure, okay, whatever. We have money that we can give you. So throughout 1983 and 1984, he spent that time writing and recording songs and filming the movie Purple Rain. Purple Rain. And um, the film and soundtrack released on June, in June, 1984. And it ended up being an instant commercial and critical success. Whoa. Can I tell you another fun fact? <laughs> sure. You know the show The Animaniacs? Yeah. Prince is in it. Yeah, I did know that. It's a very dirty joke about yeah. finger fighting fingerprints. Yeah. Just so you know. I mean... For, so our listeners know. I always forget that that show existed. I even though I watched that, that, show. that show. I really enjoyed that show. I would watch it on while I was camping because it would come on satellite. Mm-hmm. And in our uh, camper, we had satellite. And in my room, we had satellite. But I couldn't get the channel that I could get while mm-hmm. camping in my room. Right. So... Mm. So Prince's impact on music, fashion, and sexuality made him a cultural icon in league with Michael Jackson and Madonna. How could we forget Madonna? We can't. Mm, we I can't. can't. What? Mm-mm-mm. Excuse me? How Excuse can, me? You can't forget Madonna because culture will still throw her at you because she's a queen. Old Madonna was a queen. Yeah. So the Purple Rain album... Sold more than 13 million copies in the U.S. alone Mm. and spent 24 consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard Top 200 chart. Wow. The film won Prince an Academy Award for Best Original Song Score and grossed over $68 million in the U.S., $167 million in 2019 dollars. Songs from the film were hits on pop charts around the world. When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy reached number one, and the title track reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100. At one point in 1984, Prince simultaneously had the number one album, single, and film in the U.S. That's crazy. Has anyone else done that? Like, is there... I don't know. Like, who? <laughs> How many people have done this? I don't know. It was, Noel Miranda. He'll be it, the next one. It was the first time a singer had achieved this feat. The Purple Rain album is ranked 72nd in, in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Wow, it I is, need to know what number one is on that. Right? I need to as well. It is also included in the list of Time Magazine's all-time 100 albums. The album also produced two of Prince's first three Grammy Awards earned at the 27th Annual Grammy Awards Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal and Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media. So he's pretty achieved, you know? Definitely. Yeah, he's already. And this is just, this is what got him track. This is what just shot him up to where he is today, in today's world. Yeah. Where we hold him at today. Right. So in 1984... Tipper Gore and her daughter, Corinna, were listening to Prince's song, Darling Nikki, 
which is notorious for its sexual references and reference to masturbation. These references caused her to go out of her way and create the Parents Music Recourse Center. The center advocated for the mandatory use of a warning label on music that referenced adult themes such as sex and other use of mature languages, etc. So that's why we have explicit. Mm-hmm. The Parental Advisory, colon, explicit lyrics, sort of wording label, the thing that you see in all rap records, basically, that is because of her, because of Prince. Wow. It's now like... every time I see that little black and white mm-hmm. explicit sign i'm gonna be like prince right it's almost like my henna he's at graduation god (laughs) guys okay quick story so (laughs) whenever we were graduating our vice principal had to step up we were graduating high school yes our vice principal had to step up to be principal because our principal left for a better job at a different school and (laughs) our vice principal was not cool i do not like him he did not let me wear my custom-made sneakers to graduation. Anyways, uh, we did henna on our hands, like, the night before. Or no, it was the day of. The day of. Uh, and So it was still orange. Yes, and they I'm caught pale. Sarah. They caught Sarah because it was all over her arms and hands and made her cover it with Band-Aids. No, it was just one Band-Aid. One big remember? Band-Aid um, <laughs> on, your, on the top but of your But it, like, hand. went up my fingers. And, um... They almost didn't let me walk the stage. At all. Yeah, because of my henna. And apparently somebody went and stood up for me. I still don't know who to the... It was a teacher. I don't know who stood up for me, but thank you, whoever you are. And uh, one of my teachers just handed me one big brown... Like the largest band-aid you can find. And she just stuck it on the back of my left hand. And then I had to cover my hand with my sleeve when I received my diploma. (laughs) They didn't notice mine because I'm very short and my robe's arms were too long for you to see my hands. <laughs> yeah. So no one ever caught me because I was still pissed about the whole shoe thing. Mm-hmm. And so it was my one little rebellion. Yeah. Um, so to date, they have this uh, rule specifically stating that nobody will be able to walk if they have visible henna or tattoos. Mm-hmm. But they say henna first. And no tennis shoes i don't understand i don't understand i was so upset yeah college lets you i hand painted tennis shoes for my graduation and they told me if i wore them they would find me so i couldn't graduate anyways i'm still mad about it don't get me started just pays the fine i'm still no like you can't graduate you like you can't walk if you have an outstanding fine that's why they just wanted a bribe guys you want to know how freaking crazy I am? Okay. We're not even going to like go into it, into it, but let's just say I was really into government at the time. And whenever I was told that I couldn't wear the shoes, I literally emailed the principal, uh, with direct links to a Supreme court case explaining why what he was doing was unconstitutional. I think I know the case you're talking about. Yeah. The one with the armbands. Yeah. The release of the album around the world in a day in 1985 was veer it veered off his you know his normal track mm-hmm. because after purple rain he started to dive into different genres of music okay which i have a lot of personal respect for when an artist yeah, does that yeah um 
because it it's pretty risky. So he veered off into the bizarre psycho, um, uh, like psychedelic sort of. Yeah, I was trying to think of a better word, but yeah. So the psycho psychedelic sort of feel of music, more Woodstocky, I guess. Yeah. Um, even though it was in the eighties. But still, it held the number one spot on the Billboard 200 for three weeks. So people did really enjoy this new track that he was starting to go down. And he was becoming way more himself. Mm -hmm. Um, He was starting to come out more as a more fluid moving person. From that album, the single Raspberry Beret reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and Pop Life reached number seven. Raspberry beret. I got a red beret just because of that song. Wow. I couldn't find a raspberry one. Red was the next It's the closest you can get. Yeah. So on uh, 1986, or in 1986, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Prince released his eighth studio album, Parade, which included his pulsating number one pop and R&B single, Kiss. I love that one. That's one of my favorites. Yes. I like it. Parade served as the soundtrack for the artist's second film, Under the Cherry Moon, which he directed, not Jurassic, he directed and starred in it. In 1987, his ambitions grew and grew and continued to grow, which allowed him to create the masterpiece, Sign of the Times. I love that album. Yes. I love that album a lot. That album was... Named the top album of the year by the Paz and Drop Critics Poll and sold 3.2 million copies. People love that one. And critics also uh, stated that that one was one of his best albums that he had come Mm -hmm. up with. The Black Album, however, was a more notorious. It's almost folklore, if you could say. So... This one was more instrumental, funk and R&B, as well as a hip-hop-themed beat. And it also was way more dark and mm. way more spiritually right. fun uh, run. Um, and it was very, very different from everything that he has ever done. Right. But only after 500,000 copies were pressed and printed, Prince changed his mind and stopped the production of the album. Wow. And some people say um, that it was because he thought that it was cursed. Oh. And that he didn't he didn't want that to go into publication. Why would he think it's cursed? I don't know. Like, did he make the songs cursed and then be like, no, I don't know. I. Well, with darker toned, like darker themed music, maybe right. he was like, it that wasn't me. People. Well, no, he was like, that wasn't me. Oh, okay. Um, he was like, I don't know what controlled... He, maybe he was depressed for a time. Right. And uh, he was like, I was so depressed I was basically cursed. I don't know. Mm. <clears throat> but I didn't want to say that that's why he did it because but I personally don't know. about that. Yeah. Um, it was later released by Warner Bros., or Warner Brothers as a limited edition album in 1994. Mm. Because they just had all of these copies right. and it was never released. 
So released on May 10th, 1988, rather than the um, the Black Album, it was Love Sexy. And it was a complete opposite of the Black Album. Right. It was fun. It was upbeat. It was um, like super energetic, way more of the normal Prince, but still different, you know? Um, it reached number 11 on the Billboard 200 list and number 5 on the R&B albums chart. The lead single lead single was Al- Alphabet Street, which peaked at number 8 on the Hot 100 list and number 3 on the R&B chart. It also sold 750 copies. On June 20th, 1989, the soundtrack for Batman by Tim Burton was released and peaked at number one. So, Batman was his comeback. When Warner Brothers asked him to write the soundtrack mm-hmm. for Batman, he was like, bet. And he created... I did not know he did that. Yeah. Um, so, the Tim Burton Batman, he the did the one. soundtrack for. Yeah. <clears throat> it got him number one on Billboard 200, which is big. And right. selling 4.3 million copies. The single Bat Dance topped the Billboard <laughs> at 100 and R&B charts. This was the album to usher him out of his most successful decade of the career. Of his career. Right. So, hmm. it was a good sandwich. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Ending on a high note. Yeah. And he loved that one, I think. It won him many awards. So, in 1991, Prince formed his next band, The New Power Generation, and began incorporating hip-hop and rap into his work, which he had previously resisted. The first album was Diamonds and Pearls, which was released on October 1st in 1991, reaching number three on the Billboard 200 album chart. While Prince continued to work with his new band, Prince continued to unashamedly toy with the ideas revolving around his sexuality and gender norms and the body itself. Right. He also began appearing with the word slave written on his face. The label he believed uh, was intent on limiting his artistic freedom. So he, I think I wrote that weirdly. So to explain my weird writing, slave was the representation of his uh, contract with Warner Bros. And how they were... Gotcha. Um, how they treated him and stuff. Well, how they were limiting what he was able to release. Gotcha. And how many albums he was able to release at a time. And um, his artistic freedom with his music. He just felt like he was a slave to the Warner Brothers because yeah. of that contract. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Because the reason why was in the fall of 1992, Prince had signed a record of 100 million dollar deal with Warner Brothers mm-hmm. which was considered the largest recording and music publishing contract in history at the time and allowed him the freedom to pursue TV, film, book and merchandising deals separately. As a comparison fellow industry um giants Michael Jackson and Madonna both had 60 million plus contracts that were all inclusive. So his contract with Warner Brothers was far-reaching and was very, and allowed him to do a lot, but at the same time... It was still limiting. It was extremely limiting because he was not able, they were wanting him to 
only release albums within a certain amount of time. So they wanted a much more lengthy time in between mm-hmm. each album, even though if you hadn't noticed or if you guys out there hadn't noticed, it was almost every year he was releasing an album. Right. But they were like, actually, can we like lengthen it a little bit so then you can do tv uh, stuff you can do all of this stuff it's very open to you but we only want you to focus on that one album for a good while right and then we want you to come out with another one Mm -hmm. which was being which was more detrimental to him because he wasn't earning as much money on each album able to express himself too through his music like publicly like sure he can write all he wants but he can't share with the world until they say he can yeah so he hated it and in um, 1992, his band released the 12th album, which was titled, it was entitled A, a Symbol That Cannot Be Pronounced, um, because it's more of like a, like a, a name title, I guess. And the album peaked at number five on the Billboard 200. The symbol was explained as being a combination of the symbol for male and female. Oh, so it's like what you like princess symbol yeah the one that he's and he yeah known for well he changed his name to it he legally changed his name to that symbol it's pronounced prince exactly there we go well he had to say that even though he wanted to be like he wanted the name to mean um it's like was once no, was once named Prince or something like right. that was what he wanted the symbol to mean. Oh. Or that's what he named an album. I don't remember. I don't think so. I think that's what he wanted his name to be was once named Prince. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what the symbols for male and female, because I just realized, you know. Um, it's like a circle with an arrow and a well, circle male, with a cross. The male symbol is the circle with the arrow pointing to the right. And the female symbol is the... um, It's like a circle with a little plus under it. uh, Yeah. It's from Egyptian lore. He helped write and collaborate with many different musicians, such as the Bengals, Madonna, Chaka Khan, (laughs) and Mavis Staples. Throughout his years as an artist, and many more. Um, he probably has written a lot of your favorite songs that you don't even know that he collaborated on. Because he didn't, on. like, perform it. Well, he also usually wrote under pseudonyms. Oh. Mm-hmm. Because he did not want... He, because he wanted to be related to his music only. Gotcha. That makes sense. That really yeah. does. So, in 2004, he was introduced into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame... Which was the first year he was eligible to be initiated, which is not... That's... Wow. Yeah, that's very fast. Usually it takes... A little bit. Plus years, like multiple years after you're even able to be considered. Right. Um, he wrote over a thousand songs, often playing all of the instruments for each of the songs himself. As such, Prince was hailed as one of the most successful yet controversial artists and performers in modern popular music. Mm-hmm. Prince passed away on April 21st, 2015, when he was found dead at his Paisley Park compound in Minnesota. On June 2nd, 2016, the Midwest Medical Examiner's Office released results of 
their investigation over Prince and how mm-hmm. he died. Um, and they said that it was an accidental overdose of self-administered fentanyl, a synthetic opiate. I remember that. Mm. Um, and it was because he had a surgery. Well, they think it was because he had a surgery in 2015 that he took painkillers for, which he became addicted to. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also having depressive... Uh, I think I remember reading... Don't quote me on this. Do your research. <laughs> I'm not an expert. I believe that he was having depressive symptoms as well. Which is why he turned to fentanyl. So Prince had a long on and off relationship with singer-songwriter Susanna Melvin, the twin sister of Wendy Melvin, a guitarist in Prince's band, The Revolution. He also was romantically involved with the drummer extraordinaire Sheila E. On Valentine's Day 1996, Prince married backup singer and dancer Mayton Garcia, the couple had a son who was born on October 16th, 1996. However, uh, he died a week later from Pfeiffer syndrome, a rare genetic disorder. Prince and Garcia's marriage was annulled in 1999 and they were divorced in 2000. Hmm. In 2001, Prince married his second wife, Manuela Testolini, who had been employed by one of his charitable organizations. Their marriage ended in 2006 after their divorce. He had a relationship with one of his musical prodigies, Bria Valenti. Prince is regarded as one of the greatest musicians of all time. He was an American singer, songwriter, musician, recorder, producer, dancer, actor, and filmmaker. A guitar virtuoso. Known for his genre-crossing work, falsetto singing voice, and flamboyant stage performances and appearances. He has so many awards. I have the list. I'm not going to read through all of them. It's a whole paragraph. It's and a then whole page. So, pretty much. But he definitely has his merits and his awards, and he deserves all of them, in my opinion. He's even in the Library of Congress. So. Whoa. Oh, yes. Yes. He is aesthetically significant is how the paragraph ends. And I think that's a great place to end this story. Prince was amazing. R.I.P. You are definitely missed. And we are grateful for your work that you have released into our world. As well as your uh, dissolving of gender norms. Yeah. Can I tell you something that might make you mad? Sure. So Prince, before he passed talked about how he did not like the um like holograms of people like how they make elvis sing at like concerts and yeah michael jackson doing the like having michael jackson as a hologram yeah and they made him a hologram <laughs> that's and he hates it like he never wanted it to awful. happen and they went ahead and did it to him anyways wow i drew true crime yay so y'all are lucky two true crime episodes in a row but told by different people love that oh <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> so the case that i'm reporting on today is as you know based in minnesota and it's actually a really like it's a pretty well-known case i had known about this case prior to looking it up 
Mm-hmm. But what I did was I went on Murderpedia and I was looking through all the different... Yes. I was looking through all the different cases that are mm-hmm. out of Minnesota. And I was like, oh, this one looks fine. And I just clicked on the name. And then I was like, I know this. Oh. But I didn't know it from his name. Okay. Okay. So we're going to talk about a guy named Paul Michael Stefani. Okay. Okay. Like I said, I did not realize it at first because I'm used to hearing his moniker that people call him. He has, like, Mm -hmm. a nickname. But I'm not going to tell you that one yet. Oh, cool. Okay? I'll tell you it later. So, um, yeah, Stefani was born September 8th, 1944 in Austin, Minnesota. Wow. Is that weird to hear? A little bit. It was kind of weird for me to hear, too. So... I really did look into, like, his early life, and I could not find a lot. Like, there just isn't. So, what I did find out was, I even listened to a podcast, Mm -hmm. and it, one second, this podcast is titled, uh, Case File, Mm -hmm. and it's episode 15, in case y'all want to listen to it. It's, it was just a quick little, like, 30, less than 30 minutes Mm -hmm. thing. So... What I do know is that he was one of ten children. Oof. Yes. He was a baby of the boomers, I guess. Or he was a baby boomer age. What was his date? He was born in 1944. I think that's the year. So he's year a boomer? Boomer. I think that is the boomer year. Yeah, I think so too. I think 1944 was the beginning of the boomers. Yep. I'm not going to lie. But also. My grandma's a boomer, but oh, she only has two kids. Ooh. My grandma was a part of the silent generation. Fun. Which is the one before boomers. Right. So cool. He was one of ten children, and he was married once, and he had one daughter. Okay. That's all I know about this man prior to events. Yeah. hmm So at the beginning of our story, we have Karen Potak, and it's New Year's Eve, 1980. Mm. Um, she was actually... A 20-year-old student from the University of Stevens Point, and she was, she was walking home around 1 a.m. after a night out with all of her friends, and as she walked down the street near Pierce Butler Road and Syndicate Avenue in St. Paul, she was ambushed. Yeah, it's not, not good. She was bludgeoned across the head with a tire iron and was left for dead. What? Okay, though. That's so random. Yeah. That's so random. It gets... Yes, that's that's this case. Who just Don't. carries around a... God. It gets worse. Oh. So just... Like, the weapons change. No. So just... Okay. That's so weird. So, at approximately 3 a.m., the police receives a phone call from a man who wanted to report the assault. The caller's voice was very, very emotional, as if he was crying. Okay. And he told the police the location of the crime scene. He said, quote, there's a girl hurt here. Okay. When the 911 operator asked, you know, who are you, he hung up. Police and paramedics rushed to the scene, finding Potak clinging to her life, which is crazy, and I'm really sorry for this imagery, because I know it'll be in your head, but... She was still alive and her brain was exposed, like, through her skull. I feel like I'm going to throw up. I'm sorry, but listen. (laughs) Oh, cool. She was rushed to the hospital where she recovered. Wow. 
except without memory. And I don't know if that's a full memory wipe or just like memory of the event because every article just said without her memory. Wow, how very descriptive of you. Not you. Let me tell you, there's a problem with online articles (laughs) being plagiarized from each other. Yeah. There were so many that I was looking into and I was like, these are literally the exact same. Same pictures and everything. I don't I was frustrated. That's why I really enjoyed the podcast because it gave me a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so that happened in 1980. And then on June 3rd, 1981, which actually wasn't like a whole year later because remember it was New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. So June 3rd, 1981, there was a group of boys walking through a wooded area near Interstate 35 East. Simultaneously to that. There was another call being made to the police. Okay. A voice, again sounding near tears, screamed, quote, God damn, will you find me? I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. What the heck? Yeah. Turn yourself in. Yeah? <laughs> yes, that's what a sane person... Well, I mean, a sane person wouldn't kill someone, but... Well, yeah, but I mean, if you were begging to be... To be found? Yeah. Turn and that's your... actually not, like, as uncommon as one might think. Like, there are no, yeah. criminals that are like, find me so I can stop. And it's like, dude! You can lady, stop. Or person, being, whatever you are, whoever you are. not human, that's for sure. So, the police did trace the phone call. Uh, to a pain phone that was at a bar across from a bus depot. But when they got there, the caller was gone. As that's pretty pass- it happens, yes. So, because of these calls, this man has been dubbed as the weepy-voiced killer. Ew! Yeah. And that's what I had known this story as. Right, yeah. Um... So now we're going to go back to those boys walking in the woods. Mm -hmm. You know what's going to happen. They find a body. Mm -hmm. Eventually she was identified as 18-year-old Kimberly Compton. She had been stabbed in the chest with an ice pick 61 times and then strangled with a shoelace. Yes. So two days after the discovery of Compton's body, the police received another call. He said he hadn't meant to kill Compton and he would turn himself in, but that didn't happen. Instead, they got another phone call days later apologizing for not surrendering. He said, quote, I'll try not to kill anyone else. I couldn't help it. I don't know why I stabbed her. I'm so upset about it. That's so and yet again, he's like crying, like weeping. That's so odd. It's almost like acts of passion. You know? Yeah, like it just overtakes him. Yeah, whenever you have like a second degree murder case, usually that consists of somebody who act in a fit of rage and passion against something or someone. Like it wasn't premeditated or anything. Right. It it couldn't have been. And that's whenever you get cases where they're crying and they stabbed their friend 70 times in the chest, which would usually make somebody think, oh, that's first degree. Like, that's premeditated. They right, hated right, that person. Right. But they don't. Most of the time, it's just they're so angry that they just snap. Mm-hmm. It's a... It's a crazy thing that mm-hmm. can happen. It's definitely a psychological snap. Yeah. This guy 
But usually it's somebody you know. Mm-hmm. Which is weird. Yes. This, I, I don't know if these were crimes of passion. I think I this guy was actually mentally impaired. Oh, for sure. Like, on to July 21st, 1982. Okay. There was a woman named Carol Kellogg, and she arrived at her 33-year-old friend Kathleen Greening's home, prepared to leave on a girl's vacation to Mackinac Island. I love Mackinac Island. She let herself into the house when nobody answered the door, and she found the door unlocked. That's not good. <laughs> and she found her friend, uh, Greening, was dead in her bathtub. What? The police ruled the death an accident. Okay. And those who didn't agree with the cops, they blamed her estranged husband, but charges were never filed on him. Okay. And we'll come back to her later. Cool. On August 5th, 1982, so the same year, Barbara Simons, a 40-year-old nurse, was at the Hexagon Bar. She met a man and offered him a cigarette, and he offered her a ride home. Before she left, she told the bartender, quote, I hope he was nice. Or I hope, I hope he is nice. Ma'am, you need to know this before you get into a stranger's car. Because he offered to drive her home, and he was not nice. No, they never are. So she was found the next morning by a newspaper courier who was walking along the Mississippi River. She had been stabbed to death. Then there was another phone call. Ma'am. Quote, Please don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one over in St. Paul. So the police obviously started looking for the man who she left with. Right. From the bar. Um, The witnesses were able to prescribe to provide a description of the man. He was around 40, okay. six, six feet tall, 185 pounds, white with a receding hairline. On August 21st, 1982, so this was the first, this one I just talked about was August 5th, so now we're August 21st, so not even a month later. 19-year-old mm-hmm. Denise Williams, a sex worker, was working when a man drove up to her for her services. After discussing price, Williams got into his car. Once he got what he paid for, he turned down a dead-end road. He claimed it was a shortcut, but she knew her area well and knew that it wasn't. Williams, feeling that something was wrong, looked for a weapon. And she was in luck. She found an empty bottle, a glass bottle, Mm -hmm. and decided to use it if she had to. Okay. So that was her plan. The John pulled over and told her, quote, ass, grass, or gas, nobody rides for free. Okay. Gross. Yeah. So, when she tried to exit the vehicle, the man attacked her with a screwdriver. What? As she was attacked, she hit him with the bottle, making it break and cutting his face. William's screams drew the attention of a man who lived nearby, who came to her aid, wrestling the man away. Okay. And he's been, like, stabbing her this whole time. Oh like, with the screwdriver. The attacker then began to chase the man. So he ran to his house, and he beat the attacker inside, so he phoned for the police. Mm-hmm. The attacker ran to his car and drove away, leaving Williams there. She had 15 stab wounds. Oh, my gosh. As the police and an ambulance were headed towards Williams, Mm -hmm. there was another call being made for an ambulance. Mm -hmm. 
The man called, saying that he had been beat up and was covered with cuts. Was it a bear? <laughs> I don't know what his, like, full excuse was. Okay. Like, I, I bet he said something about, like, being mugged or something. Yeah, probably. But um, when he gave his name, which was Paul Stefani, he also gave his apartment number, and the ambulance was sent. The 911 operator noticed that the caller had a similar tone to that of the weepy voiced killer because he had, it was a higher pitched sounding voice. Mm. Um, he didn't talk at 115 hertz. <laughs> no, he was probably on the higher end. Um, and so he recognized the voice thinking it sounded very similar to that of this killer and that a man with injuries to his face was being sought in connection with another crime that had just occurred, which mm-hmm. was the stabbing. Police were dispatched to Stefani's apartment, where he was apprehended and later charged with second-degree assault. Uh, further investigation, thanks to witness descriptions, also connected him to the murder of Barbara Simons, who is the one we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. During his trial, Stefani's ex-wife, sister, and former roommate all testified that the voice on the 911 calls made by the weepy voice killers sounded like Stefani. Wow. But that really wasn't enough to connect him to the other murders that he was suspected to have committed. Mm -hmm. Like, because you can't get someone on a phone call. Right. Like, you just can't. Not like that. No, and they had, like, experts analyze these calls and they said that they could conclude that it was very similar to his voice, but mm-hmm. they could not claim it 100% because he was, like, hysterically crying in the yeah in the recordings. And so that distorts his voice a little bit, just too much for a completely positive ID. Yeah. He was sentenced to 40 years in prison for the murder of Simons and for the assault on Williams. Mm-hmm. And in 1997, Stefani was diagnosed with terminal cancer while he was serving time. Wow. And he was given less than a year to live. Mm-hmm. And this news gave him a change of heart, apparently, because he wanted to meet with the police. Interesting. He claimed responsibility for Karen Potak, Kim Compton, and Catherine Greening. And the thing about that is he was never a suspect in Greening's death. Okay. The one who was found in the bathtub. Yeah. He was never a suspect. It had already been, de- like, called an accident. Right. You know? Yeah. And everyone else thought it was and the husband, right. the ex-husband. So, it, people, they, they were kind of shocked by that. The police stated that Stefani had known details about her death and of her house that only the killer would know. Yeah. And, weirdly enough... Investigators found the name Paul S., which Paul Stefani, in Greening's address book with his phone number next to it. The one he gave the police when he was taken in. That's weird. So, like... Why? Nobody... I know why. No, like, I could not find how they knew each other, if they had a relationship, like, yeah. anything. But he was in her, like, address book. That's weird. Um, so at least that makes me think he knew her. Well, right? Like, I mean, it wasn't just a chance thing. No, it wasn't just a chance thing. He must have knew her, but for how long and for what? Yeah, I do not know. Also, there are interviews, uh, there are recordings of the interviews with this police, so if you wanted to, you could listen to that. It's odd. Um, sure. 
1988, a year after his confession, he died at Oak Park Heights Maximum Security Prison, and he was 53 years old. Also, I have a link to his calls. What? And they're very, very eerie. So those will be included in the show notes. And if you wanted to hear his voice, I I feel like I need to play just a piece. And that's, that's all I have. Okay. That's his voice, and that's why he was called the weepy-voiced killer. Hmm. It's unsettling, right? I didn't like it. It sounds... It didn't, like, scare me, but, like, no, it was unsettling. It's, yeah, it definitely gives you goosebumps, you know? Because he's yeah. calling right after he murdered somebody. Yeah. It's just... It's perplexing, because... The way how he sounds doesn't sound sincere. It doesn't to me either. No. Like, it sounds really like, oh my god, I just did this thing and you should feel sorry for me because I'm sad. Yeah, it sounds very staged. Yeah. Almost like he's trying to convince himself that, that he feels sad. something. It's almost like he's doing this to make himself see if he can actually feel something. Maybe. Because... he. There was a quote from him... Um, uh, that, and I I believe it was during his interview with the police that I said they have recordings of, Mm. and and they said it in the podcast where he was saying that he thought it was just a normal human thing to do. Like it was just a part of life until he did it. And that's when he started regretting it. Right. But then he kept doing it. So like, I think he just literally had a mental problem because he, like he said, he, if he's telling the truth. He's saying that he thought that was just a normal thing in life. Um, well, death is a normal thing in life. So I could understand why maybe he, if he, I believe that he also must have had some mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, if he did believe it was a normal thing, maybe he confused death with a normal death and he also thought that if you killed somebody, that still counted as a normal death. Yeah. If he had a mental disorder, and I am definitely not... Not condoning that. And I'm not justifying his actions whatsoever. What just, he did was wrong. It was inhuman. And it was he, he was a monster, obviously. But yeah. at the same time, I'm still fascinate sickly like you fascinated. want to like understand why yeah but- which is why they do like profiling and why they they did interview serial killers so that they could try to understand that emotion behind it the thing i wish that they had him go to a psych unit and be analyzed right i wish that they had him be able to see like I wish they were 
more interested in the mental health part of him. Right. But I mean, when was 1997? It started in 1980. Right. In 1997. And I mean, mental health was... 17 years. Just beginning to come to the forefront. I'm talking about mental health. 27 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just starting to get into um, the public eye and be recognized as an actual problem. Right. Um, But I don't know. It sounded like he was trying to convince himself. You know, like whenever you see something and like whenever you're watching a movie and you're not as attached to it as your friend and your friend is bawling their eyes out. But you're there just feeling remorse, but you're not actually crying. And you're like, like, is something wrong with me? It's like, I shouldn't be feeling sad. Exactly. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. You didn't grow up with that movie or like whatever. You don't have the same. But you feel, oh my gosh, is something wrong with me? Maybe he was trying to convince himself that he felt bad for what he was doing. Right. Or what he did. Or it's like if when a kid tells like a little lie. That's what I And yeah. they truly try to like believe it till eventually they do. Right. Like you change your perception. Yeah. I don't know. This is, he killed three women and assaulted two others like very badly. And so he was not a good man by any no. means. And it's just. No. Mental, mental health can only explain so far. You know, there are people out there who have mental illnesses and would never do anything like that because they're, they wouldn't. Right. Does not justify actions. Yeah. Just because you have mental illness doesn't mean you can blame things on it. You have to work with it. Exactly. Well, that was a horrible story. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry we ended on it, but it's still just like I recommend y'all go listen to this to the recordings. Go listen to Purple Rain. It'll make everything feel better. Or Raspberry Beret or Kiss, you know? Right. Prince. Prince. We ended on Prince. 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 He was a prince. Well, we actually need to decide what our next What is our next topic? I chose the last one, so you try to figure this one out, I guess. Let's do something different. Like what? Let's do the decade of the 10s of 2010. Oh, so the 2000s? Mm-hmm. Or the 2010s? 2010s. 2010s. So like 2010 to 2020? Yeah. Or, or uh, we can do 2000s. The 2000 to The first two decades of the 2000s. The first two decades. So 2000s to 2020. Okay, that sounds good. That'll be interesting. For exactly. some, like for lore, yeah, might be kind of hard. But, but then you could also cover like a movie that was about a certain lore yeah. or something. Yeah, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. There is definitely folklore from yeah. the two thousands. Yeah, one hundred percent for sure. Covers Aaron Mankey's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about different possibilities, and I'm just reeling. Okay. Let's rock, paper, scissors this out. Let's rock this out. (laughs) Rock, Rock, paper, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, you win. The North wins. Which is good. So, 
follow us <laughs> on all of our social media. We have them. We have sometimes. A plethora, as they say. Follow us at ASAYOTA on Twitter and uh, Instagram. Nothing happens there, but soon, maybe. <laughs> Once we get some followers, more things will happen. Don't say that. We can trick them. <laughs> Once- hey, if you're a listener, tweet at us to do something and we'll do it. Just be like, dude, tweet something. Bully us, but nicely. Bully us with kindness. Kill us with kindness, as Selena Gomez has said. We're working on it. We're working on something. There are things in the works. Anyways, they're working. Our gears are turning. Work? (laughs) Work, work, work. Uh, Also, the kind words of Rihanna. (laughs) Queen. Um, Also, send us your emails to our Gmail. At acaotapodcast at gmail.com. That's A-C-E-A-O-T-A podcast at gmail.com. Rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a comment. Give us a noise. It helps other people find us. Definitely. Because I believe we deserve to be listened to. (laughs) Because I believe Jessica is great. (gasps) Oh my goodness. At least someone does. Yeah. Well, I do. If that means anything. Yes, it means so much. <laughs> Yay. All right. Well, that's it for us. Um, Come back next time. And we will be covering some time in the 2000s. Um, hopefully. <laughs> so um, that's that's what we got. And we love you. And so, okay. And so, thanks. <laughs> and so, bye. Pause. Hunk's going to bed. <laughs> He's like, bye. <laughs> she was a Taurus. Take a ride on my big No, no. Hugging <laughs> up the road on my p p p p flowered. Take a look at look at five miles an hour. I hate it. Yeah, yeah, no. That's that wasn't even no. Nope, nope, nope. What is your name? My name is Sir Lancelot. What is your quest? To find the Holy Grail. <laughs> what? It's the airspeed velocity of a. Uh, no, that's for Arthur. Oh, I wasn't listening to your answers. I was just talking. Rude. <laughs> that's what I'm. This this time period. Some boys come and some boys go. You're not Cher, you're Madonna. (laughs) Me and my family sing like Cher at our house all the time. (laughs)